listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ. He is risen. Let's press on today in our study of the subject of heaven. And today let's ask some very practical questions. For example, let's ask, what exactly is this realm called heaven? Is it a physical place or is it some kind of ethereal spiritual place? Where is heaven? Is it down in the center of the earth as many popular notions have had it? Or is it somewhere out past uh, a few galaxies in the cosmos? Even more significantly, in what sense is God in heaven and not on earth? Isn't God everywhere? Why do we speak of God being in heaven? These are some of the practical questions I want to take up in today's podcast. Um, along with these things, we need to understand uh, what I'm calling the relationship that has existed through time uh, between these two realms we call heaven and earth. And we're going to see that the relationship has varied at different points in history. For example, the relationship between heaven and earth changed as a result of the fall of man into sin. And that change was not for the good. Uh, there was a separation of heaven and earth as a result of sin. But uh, the good news is that God has been more and more, as he's unfolded his redemptive plan, been bridging the gap. Uh, and uh, that is going to lead, I hate to steal my own thunder here, uh, but one day that's going to lead to a glorious consummation of a restored relationship between heaven and earth. Uh, in fact, uh, you could call that final state heaven on earth. Now, friends, uh, some of the things that I'm going to be teaching in this uh, sermon that I'm sharing once again from a sermon series were explosively significant to me uh, as I learned them. But I have to admit, I was coming to clear understanding of them well into my ministerial career. And I think there are many uh, of my brothers and sisters in the Lord uh, who have yet to uh, see some of these same things. So I'm excited to share this. I hope you'll be amazed, uh, just as I have been, at how much God has in store for us, and particularly how much he intends to exalt his Son, our Savior, in the way that through Christ and in Christ he will bring all things together, heaven and earth uh, together. So be encouraged as you listen on. In the evenings, for just a few weeks, we are taking an interlude from our study in Hebrews and taking up the subject of the, the doctrine of heaven. And we do that again tonight. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter. And this will be one of quite a few passages referenced this evening. I'm going to attempt to do a lot uh, this evening in giving a brief history of heaven. I'll read from Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 10. This is the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Amen. Let's again pray. Our Father, refresh our souls. We are on earth. You are in heaven. Yet we ask that you will connect your dwelling and ours in the preaching of the word tonight. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Last week we began this mini-series on the subject of heaven by trying to identify the sources of some of our misconceptions. We talked about things like paganism and Gnosticism and Platonism and scholasticism, but it surely will not do simply to say what heaven is not. So we move quickly on to begin this evening to say some things positively about what heaven is. There'll be two questions that uh, take their place uh, in the course of the sermon tonight. Uh, there are simple questions. What is heaven? And then where is heaven? In particular, where is heaven in relation to earth? And I'll say at the outset, uh, multiple passages, probably more than you will be able to turn to in the time that I'll allow you. I trust it will still be edifying to hear the scriptures read in varied places. If you want to begin with a working definition of heaven, this will help. I think heaven is that created realm where God manifests his special presence and glory. The course of this evening, we'll see uh, several things about heaven and the course of this series will recognize that heaven is in different places, as it were, in relation to the earth. In redemptive history, but this definition will apply throughout from beginning to end. Heaven is that created realm where God manifests his special presence and glory. Now, I've said it's it's a created realm, but it is interesting that the scripture never actually addresses the when of the creation of heaven. Like it doesn't ever uh, say to us specifically when God made the angels. We know the angels are created beings, but... The scripture doesn't reveal to us when precisely they were created. Uh, The account of the creation is very geocentric, if you will. It's very much an account of our world, and it describes things in terms of their relationship to our dwelling place. You say, but wait a minute, doesn't the Bible begin with the words about the creating of heaven? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, it does speak of the heavens, the very first verse of the Bible, but this is probably a good time to make an important distinction in our use of the word heaven. There is a difference between what the scripture speaks of as the heavens and what it speaks of as heaven. The heavens in Genesis and then all throughout the scriptures, the heavens is a reference to the sky. That becomes clear on the second day. 
when Moses tells us of God's words, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separate the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. Now, what it was referring to there on the second day, the heaven is also what more typically refers to as the heavens. The NIV helpfully translates that or interprets that as the sky. This is a point of some confusion for some because many times the English word heaven is actually a reference in the Bible to the place where the birds fly. Or for that matter, the place where the stars twinkle, where the sun rises and the moon comes out. Uh, From our scientific standpoint, it would be the uh, outer space as opposed to the earth. Now, it's a biblical use of the word heaven to refer to the sky. But, brothers and sisters, we are speaking this evening of heaven in another use, another biblical use. And that is the place where God dwells. And oftentimes there... Uh, is uh, an, uh, um, an interlocking of those two things, the sky and the place where God dwells. They're often closely associated in the Bible, but you need to keep them distinguished. For example, the Bible frequently speaks about heaven where God dwells as a place that's up. It's up. I mean, physically up. The Bible repeatedly speaks of heaven that way. For example, it speaks of God in heaven. Deuteronomy 26, verse 15, a prayer. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the ground that you've given us and so on. Uh, the scripture speaks of God in heaven looking down on us. It also speaks of us here on the earth looking up, even raising our hands to heaven where he is up, up. Uh, Solomon in his prayer in First Kings 8 manifests this. He spread out his hands towards heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. Some of the most significant uh, events in the scripture that give us the sense that heaven is up, kind of like the sky is up, is the fact that when Elijah goes to heaven, children, remember, the chariot of fire takes him into the sky. Or more significantly yet, when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven, he goes up from the disciples and he's eventually lost in the clouds. So uh, that notion that heaven is a place in the clouds where you sit around in a cloud and so on is As silly as that is, there is at least something in the scripture that's been caught in that notion that heaven is very often in the scripture represented to us as up. Now, a skeptic of Christianity might say that's only the perspective you could have in the pre-scientific age. Now that we have spaceships and uh, telescopes that reach far out into outer space, You can't actually think of heaven as up there. And uh, there was some report that the first Soviet cosmonaut, Yuri something, I can't remember his name, uh, made some crack about that as he was the first to 
escape Earth's atmosphere and orbit the Earth. Don't see any God up here, he was reported to have said. Well, this is uh, where it is important also to recognize that as much as the Scripture, no doubt for our sake, no doubt recognizing that we are spatial creatures and, and have some sense of uh, God being above us, quite rightly, also speaks of heaven, for those who are listening carefully to the Scriptures, as actually in a realm very different from our own. Yes, heaven is spoken of as above us, but not just a place, children, where you could get to in a, in a, in a big enough rocket. It would get really, really, really up above us. No, the scripture frequently speaking of heaven indicates to us that it's a whole other realm. We're, we're not exactly sure how to use words in this sense. You might want to say another dimension. It is a created realm. It is a place, but it's not a place within our place. It's a place parallel to our place. And no, you can't get into that place by simply going up. You have to have, by the supernatural assistance of God, access to that realm. You get that sense when, for example, Stephen is being stoned and, and he sees... Jesus in heaven. And children, it's not like he's given the six million dollar man's eye so that he can see way out in outer space past what the Hubble telescope could see. No, actually, Jesus seems to be very close. He's in heaven, but he's actually very close. He's right there. And Stephen, we're told in Acts 7, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He is seeing not just up. He's seeing into the other realm that is heaven. And Stephen said, behold, I see the heavens opened. As if he's saying, I'm seeing a door in the sky. I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand. Of God. This kind of vision is what you read of in the book of Revelation, where John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. When he records what he sees, you recognize that God has given him the ability, not with mere uh, telescopic sight, but with supernatural uh, vision. He's enabled him to see into that other realm that is heaven. So it's quite appropriate for us to continue, as the Bible does, to speak of heaven as of God uh, looking down on us. That's entirely biblical language. Just recognize that it's not in a spatial way up. It is, in fact, another realm that God has created, another dimension, if you will. It's not the mirror of this one, the real Narnia. It is a sister realm, if you will, God Made. What's the purpose of that other realm? Why isn't one enough? Well, we learn from the scripture that God has chosen heaven to be the place where he specially manifests his presence. And also, therefore, his glory. The way the scripture speaks of this is that it says God dwells in heaven. 
That's God's home. He lives there. Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. You recognize that Jesus continually speaks of our father and he tells us where he is. Your father who is in heaven. Indeed, heaven actually becomes a synonym for God, like White House becomes a synonym for our president. That's the way it works in the Bible. The prodigal son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He can speak that way because God lives in heaven. But what does it mean when the scripture says God is in heaven? Does that mean God's in heaven the way you're in this room? You're in this room, which means you're not in that room. You're here. You're contained here. Well, no, actually, that's not what the scripture means when it speaks of God being in heaven. It's very clear in the word of God that even heaven can't contain God. Solomon prays that. Will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house? That I have built or Jeremiah writes, can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth? This is the doctrine of the immensity of God. That's actually the name that theologians give to this reality that God fills all of the created order. Both heaven and earth are filled with God. He's not contained by either. Or both. But still, the Bible says he lives or dwells in heaven. What it means by that is that God has chosen that place to specially manifest his presence and his glory. That's what you should think of, children. You think of heaven as difficult as it is for you to imagine the glory of God. You recognize that there's a lot of that in heaven. And the angels are those creatures that. They're a little sturdier than we are. They're able, just barely, to be in the presence of the glory that God chooses to manifest in heaven. We won't even say that he manifests all his glory there, but that's where he specially manifests his glory. Have I made the point clear that heaven is a created realm? It's not an eternal realm. This is also a point of confusion. If I was a hip PowerPoint pastor with a drawing behind me just now, I would do this. I would have a, a circle, and that circle would be all that has been created by God. And I might withdraw that, I might bisect that circle and say, one part of that is heaven, that's one realm, the other part is earth. And then I would draw an X outside the circle, that's as close as I get to drawing a picture of God. The X outside the circle would be to indicate God is not contained by what he's made. He stands outside of all that he's made. He's made heaven and he's made earth. But he chooses to inhabit both. Heaven is the place that he especially inhabits and reveals his glory Why does God create a place where he can specially reveal himself? Well, that's actually going to lead us to what we'll spend the rest of our time doing this evening. 
Because God wants His glory to be seen and enjoyed. Heaven is a place where His glory is seen and enjoyed. But we are on earth. And He is in heaven. So what might exist by way of possibility for us to see his glory and know his presence. Well, now we're going to look at what I've called the, the history of heaven, at least in its relation uh, to earth. Where is heaven in relation to earth? We're not trying to map heaven. We're not trying to put it in the, in the universe. We're trying to ask the question, what's the relationship of that realm to the one in which we live? What is the relationship between heaven and earth? And I want you to see that the answer to that question depends on that point in redemptive history that you're referencing. I'll give you four such points this evening. First, before the fall. What was the relationship of heaven to earth at the very beginning? Well, apparently, there was rather free and easy intercourse between heaven and earth at the beginning. Remember the passage? It actually is recorded for us after the fall, but we gather from Genesis 3, verse 8, when God comes to walk in the garden, the cool of the night, that this was something that Adam had as a privilege and was now about to forfeit. But at the beginning, though God did not dwell on earth, that garden, that paradise, was the place where heaven and earth connected, we might say. God is in His heaven with His holy angels. Man is made with all the animals here on the earth. But Eden, that place that God especially made, where apparently He was able to come from heaven and and, and, and share his presence and his glory with Adam. That was how it began. That's how close heaven and earth were. But then after the fall, where was heaven in relation to the earth? Well, for a very horrific few moments at least, it appeared that heaven and earth would go very, very far apart indeed. Remember that the effect of Adam and Eve's sin was that portal, if you will, between heaven and earth, the garden, that holy place where God could come and dwell with his people in earth, that was closed. Man was driven out of the garden. An angel from heaven was tasked with preventing man from re-entering that holy place. That's because God is a holy God. And he will not dwell with sinners. And so the great calamity of the fall was that what was so once very close, heaven and earth, the place God dwelt and the place man dwelt, was now ruptured by the death that sin brought. Heaven, if we were playing in our minds the what would have been game, heaven and earth would have remained forever separate. And not God intervened. But of course he did. And the part of 
of the relationship between heaven and earth we are now living in is that part in which we could put it to ourselves this way, brothers and sisters. God has been reconnecting heaven and earth. That's what the plan of redemption is all about. He does not leave mankind in a state of sin and misery. He promises them a redeemer and the redeemer reconnects God and man, heaven and earth. And so there is by grace through anticipation of the coming Messiah. And since he's come in the application of his work to us, there there are reopened paths between heaven and earth. The Old Testament has them. And if you look at the Old Testament with these eyes, you'll recognize what's taking place increasingly more and more. There's a, a connection made again between where God dwells and where men dwell. Remember Jacob, his vision in Genesis chapter 28. He has the vision of heaven and earth and a ladder between them. And, and these glorious beings coming, ascending and descending. God is indicating in that vision that he's going to do something through miserable sinners like Jacob to reopen a concourse between heaven and earth. And indeed, Jacob wakes up and he says, how awesome is this place? There's none. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. God continues to do this, and he does it in enlarged ways. He appears to Moses on a mountain. And he says, bring my people back to this holy place. And Moses does it. Of course, the mountain is Sinai, and it's the place where God himself is said to dwell in the earth. His holy mountain, the place where God brings his people to meet with him. Most significant, of course, of all in the Old Testament is that God says to his now redeemed people, I am going to live with you. And he does that through the means of a tent, a tabernacle. And interestingly, the decorations of that tabernacle on the inside are made to reflect the sky. Which is to say, God is saying to his people, in this place, this one place, I am willing to make my presence, otherwise in heaven, known on earth. I will actually dwell between the cherubim. Notice the cherubim. Those symbols of the heavenly creatures, I will dwell in that tent between the cherubim and you will approach me there. I will dwell among you. You will be my people and I will be your God. This is like a a gracious restoration of the Garden of Eden, except that tabernacle becomes a city. It becomes the temple in Jerusalem and the whole city then comes to be called the place Zion, but as the psalmist writes, God desired for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I desire it. Children, in the Old Testament, if you were a, 
a godly Israelite. You actually believe what God said to the Jewish people. You thought of Jerusalem as heaven on earth. That's why there was so much longing to be in Jerusalem, because it was recognized that that was the city and specifically that hill in Jerusalem upon which the temple was built, where God's heaven, his dwelling and man's earth were now interlocked by grace. And so the psalmist could write, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, you might now be anticipating where why we might go next in talking about the relation of heaven to earth. Because that connection, as profound as it was in a tent, in a temple, in a city, oh, it's eclipsed. When God himself comes from heaven and takes earth to himself. That is, of course, when Jesus comes as a man He permanently joins these two realms that once seemed to be irreconcilable because of sin. Jesus joins these two realms of heaven and earth, never to be separated again. Jesus, of course, comes as the fulfillment of the temple. He is actually the dwelling of God among men. And what could have been said by an Old Testament saint of Jerusalem now can only be said of Jesus. No one comes to the Father, but by Him, through Him, He's the connector of heaven and earth. Well, He goes back to heaven. What does that say about the relationship between heaven and earth? Well, as much as it might be counterintuitive, what He does as he returns to heaven, actually enlarges the connectedness between heaven and earth beyond anything that had ever been known before in the earth. That is, he sends his spirit. The spirit by whom both realms were made. And that spirit indwells now not a place in Jerusalem, but indwells people who are now scattered throughout the earth and who are assured that whenever they gather, Christ is present with them. How connected is heaven and earth now? The Spirit comes and increasingly fills the earth with the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus refers to as the coming of the kingdom of heaven. In the earth, the presence of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. The glory of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. I guess you could call thus much the history of heaven because the rest of the story is yet to be fulfilled. But we know how the story will end. What's the future of heaven? What's the future relationship of heaven To earth, the place where God dwells, the place where men dwell. At the consummation of the plan of redemption, heaven and earth, we're told by God's word, will become one. You might have guessed it. 
was sort of headed that way, wasn't it? God in grace and the plan of redemption opening up an increasing connectedness, concourses, if you will, between heaven and earth. The whole trajectory of redemption points in this way. If in Jesus Christ, God and man are joined, then surely through Jesus Christ, heaven and earth will be joined. And that's exactly what we read. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we read, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will. Are you ready to hear what is the mystery of His plan in matters of redemption? The mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What's that going to look like? How will this union take place? It's just here that many Christians make Very simple, but very basic mistake. They think of the union of heaven and earth, and somehow in their minds, what that union looks like is earth being discarded and our being left with nothing but heaven. Our living with God in His realm forever and ever while the earth perishes and disappears. That's not the union of heaven and earth. Under Jesus Christ that the scripture is speaking of. Next week we'll talk about how we do go to that realm where God lives when we die. That is our great hope. The moment of death. We will go to where Jesus is. That will be a temporary stay. It will be temporary until the place where Jesus is and the place where we presently are are united. The vision of the Scriptures is that at the last day, this earth will be cleansed of all that prevented a union between heaven and earth. It will be cleansed of all that, not least of all by the wicked being banished from the earth. The righteous, we're told, will inherit the earth as Jesus taught us and as Abraham foresaw it. And God's heaven, this is actually how it will work. God's heaven will come to earth. The vision that we receive from John in Revelation puts that very clearly. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
You've used the expression heaven on earth enough times, I'm sure, to refer to things less substantial than that. That's the real deal. That's heaven on earth. God's dwelling place in heaven. Coming to man. The glory of God's presence, as the old prophets foretold, thereby filling the earth. As the water covers the sea. Psalm 72. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Well, that sweeping history and future of heaven is my attempt to set in your mind, if you were, the mapping of the relationship between heaven and earth. And we will, as we continue, look at What happens when we die? And what happens when Christ returns? We'll return to those things. I want you to be all over again impressed with the uniqueness of Christianity. The glory of the gospel in our faith. There are two alternative, main alternative views of what I've just been speaking of in the religions of this world. In some religions of the world, heaven and earth have always essentially been one realm. That is because God and everything else have always essentially been one. The divine has permeated everything. There is no distinction between God and man. The word, of course, for that is pantheism. That sets on one side of the Christian religion, and it's answered by the wise man of Ecclesiastes, who is not willing for us to equate ourselves with God. He says, God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. It's the answer to pantheism. On the other side of Christianity, in other religions of the world, heaven and earth are two realms infinitely far apart. The gods are in their heaven. They could not care less about what happens here on earth. They cannot be bothered. They are far, far away. Christianity also has an answer for that. Prophet Zechariah says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Isn't it glorious? You have a God high and lifted up. When you are low, you are here on earth and he is in his holy heaven. And yet, it is his plan, dear people, to make you his dwelling. The consummate way, the day that is yet coming. Heaven and earth will become one, as our hymn writer puts it. And actually a celebration of this world, and the glories of this earth, he says, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. Amen. Shall we pray?
You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.